Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. After many, many months in studying First and Second Peter, this is the last time that we'll address the text in an expository kind of way as we wrap up our study. What I thought we'd do was look back throughout both letters, king in on some words in his final discourse in his second epistle to the people that he was writing to who were facing persecution, were facing the realities of life under the sun and all of the hardships that come with that, that were facing the infiltration of false teachers into the church, the perversion of the truth and the twisting of sound doctrine, facing a, a Christian age and the falsehood of teaching that would give us some kind of license to live life however way we wanted to, because there is no such thing as the coming of Christ. Well, if there's no such thing as the coming of Christ, what a disappointment this life is. But as Peter writes to these believers, he said, this is temporary. It's only going to last for a season. It appears to be a lengthy season, but a season nonetheless. And as he writes in both of these epistles to encourage the true church and true believers, I believe that what he says and I believe the lives of those recipients of these letters are epitomized in some of the songs that we sang this morning. We try and connect the songs to the text and to really what we're trying to emphasize from the text. And in the end of the day, no matter how hard life gets, we have a hope and a promise that is eternal, and we realize that when life becomes insurmountable in my own particular strength, my own wisdom, and my own ideas, that we have the strength of our Savior Jesus Christ, the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit, and He will keep us until the end. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Most of the time in the history of Western civilization, the church has not had to rely on that truth. We've been blessed abundantly in Western civilization with religious freedom, the freedom to worship any way that we choose or wish, the freedom to live out our Judeo-Christian ethos in a culture that has a godless ethos, morality. And yet we're entering into a time frame, I believe, in which persecution is arriving in the Western Hemisphere. I believe we're entering into a period of time in which we will begin to feel the sting that goes beyond some cancellation on social media to extreme degrees of anger and vitriolic language towards those who simply hold to the ethics of the Scripture and the morality that is so simple to those who have the ability to define what a woman is and understand that marriage is a sanctity given to us as a gift by God for His glory, in a world that marginalizes and seeing, sees or, or proclaims that only some people count. My Bible says that everyone is created in the image of God and possesses an intrinsic sense of worth and value and dignity. Every human being matters, created in the image 
of God. And yet in the midst of this culture, as there's pushback to all of that, we must cling to the truth of First Peter and the persecution, and Second Peter, those who twist God's perfect plan for their own pleasure. We must store up our minds of the things that we've learned and the things that we've been taught and the grace that has been given us to withstand the challenges of the day. And those challenges are great. So in Peter's final words in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, we read, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability." but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father, I pray that You bless us for the time that we spend in Your Word this morning, that You bring back to our remembrance the things that we have learned throughout this study. But I pray that the things that we've learned throughout this study are more than just principles or a knowledge of the Scripture. I pray that it was not in vain, and it's become an experiential knowledge, a true knowledge in which we we get it, and we understand what's required of us, and we understand what we can cling to, and we understand what the source of our hope is, and we understand that in a very definitive way, when you are done You'll make all things new. You'll rescue us from this present age and receive all of the benefits and the blessings of our salvation in their fullest form as we see our Savior face to face. But until such time, I pray that You would charge us to stir up our minds by way of remembrance you charge us to stir up our mind by, by learning and gaining and increasing in knowledge of Your Word, that You would stir up our mind and give us a discernment of the ti- day and, and times in which we live, that it would stir up in our minds the ability to take the truth, to apply that truth, and to remain stable in that truth in spite of the instability that is all around us in our world today in spite of inevitable persecution, in spite of personal suffering from persecution or just the reality of living in a sinful world, in spite of those who would like to dissuade and persuade, in light of those who would like to twist the Scripture and conform them to their own will, in spite of those who will renounce those things that are true, preach another gospel. As we store up our minds, may we find our stability in Christ alone. We find our stability 
and truth alone. May we find a stability for this present age of chaos and confusion and knowing that this too shall pass and a better day is coming. But it's all because of you. It's all because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all because of the promises of eternity. Remind us of those things and stir up our minds, we pray, and make us stable. Plant our feet on ground that does not move. And may we stand as a testimony of Your grace, a grace that is abounding in our lives by how we live. May You give us the courage to speak truth into a world that not only doesn't recognize truth, they despise it. And as the days grow darker, may we look for that day that is dawning, the return of our Savior, and may You find us at peace. Courage and bless as we wrap up our study in First and Second Peter, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. As you look at the text of 2 Peter chapter 3, we broke it down and looked at some of the complications and issues that we're addressing today, beginning in verse 14 and onward. And Peter, as a pastor with a great concern and care for his people, talks about the times of waiting, the times in which we're waiting for God to do something, to say something, to make sense of that which makes no sense. And he calls the believers to be diligent, to be found in Christ, the grace that we've received from Him, without spot or blemish, contrary to these false teachers, and to find a place of, of peace, a place of rest, if you would, a place where even though life doesn't change, and it's really important that we make this clear, the believer's peace doesn't come through the change of circumstances. It comes through seeing God in spite of the circumstances. Some of us believe this, name it and claim it, that, that if, we, if we cry out for peace, God's going to solve all of our issues. He never promises to do that. He says, in this world you will have tribulation. It's not going to be easy, but be of good cheer or be at peace. I have overcome the world. That's the peace and the rest that the believer has. Even if our minds are restless, even if our emotions are restless, even if our hearts are restless, as Augustine says, we must find our rest in Him. As we find that rest, it, it, it gives us the patience to be sustained in the midst of God's patience in this present world, and it gives us or equips us with the things that are necessary to live out this Christian life in faithfulness in spite of persecution, in spite of suffering, in spite of false teachers. And then he reminds us, oh, by the way, there are some things in the Scripture, in Paul's writings, even in my writings, that are hard to understand. When we talk about hard to understand, we remind ourselves that, that the Scripture is complex, and God shares with us the truth of Scripture and reveals to us His plan for the ages, but He doesn't tell us everything. He reveals part of His character and nature to us, but He doesn't reveal everything. It reminds me of Moses getting a glimpse with, with a veiled hand covering the glory of God. I'm not sure we could handle the glory of God. Our experience would be like that of Isaiah. We become unraveled and undone when we see Him in all of His glory. But we, we begin to understand 
who He is through the Scripture. And although He doesn't tell us everything, and although some of the things that He calls us to are, are confusing at times and hard to understand, Peter is wrapping up the text by reminding them, cling to that truth, cling to that grace and that mercy, and as hard as it is to understand, be reminded that God is good, and He's good all of the time. Sometimes as we study Scripture, it is hard to understand by way of its complexity and its mysteries. Sometimes there's a very practical side to the Scripture being hard to understand. We talked about it last week. If God is good, then why? It's hard to understand. If God says He promises to bless me, why? If God says He loves me, He's not showing it. I, I can't hear His voice. He isn't real. Doesn't He know what I'm going through? And as Peter writes to these people, he is calling them back to some of this stuff is hard to understand, but there is a plan, and we must look beyond that plan, and we must embrace that eschatological perspective that he, that he talks about in chapter 3. There is a time of judgment, and there is a time of blessing, and it's a fixed time, and God will make everything right. And the questions that you have today will finally be answered but in a way that you never anticipated. He's not going to explain why He allowed you to go through things. He's not going to explain why in His perfection He did some of the things that He did. He's not going to explain His patience to you and not intervening in this world today. The explanation will be will simply be we will see Him and we will become like Him because we see Him as He is, and that's sufficient to solve our troubled minds. But He says as you're waiting for that time and as you're waiting for that hope to become a reality, there are those who will come along, will trust the truth and the Scripture. And He says in verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand… Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. As I look at even what's happening in evangelicalism today, I think there's been a loss of stability. I think the church has become distracted. I think the church has bought into, maybe not in whole but in part, this promise that you can have your best life now, and, and somehow all your problems can be resolved if you have enough faith. And it's easy how we can rip sections out of the Scripture that deny that reality, like Job. <laughs> Some of you feel like Job this morning. Do not lose your stability. Please understand a better day is coming. Just wait. Just wait. See, the Christian life in many ways is defined by our ability to wait and to cling to true truth and to never lose our hope that a better day is coming. This is the audience that Peter writes to. And he says something really interesting in verse 17. Know this beforehand. Too many Christians in the church today are not students of the Word. They're not faithful to the ministry of the Word. They're disconnected to the body of Christ and to the church. They're disjointed in their prayer lives. They have 
lost their bearings, if you would, and now all of a sudden they are faced with calamitous times, whatever they might be, persecution, suffering, false teachers. And somehow in the midst of that whirlwind, they they try and get their bearings back, and they try and find their way through crisis, but oftentimes in the midst of that crisis, it's hard to find your way. Peter says, I want you to be ready today for what's going to happen tomorrow. I want you to be ready today when, when I'm blessing you, when I'm, when I'm speaking into your life through the Scripture, when I'm reminding you of how great I am. I, I want you to store that up for the day in which your earthly existence becomes rattled even to its very foundation. And I have to wonder if some of those believers in the Ukraine are experiencing that today. Where's God in all of this? I pray that they've stored up beforehand this understanding that He is still on the throne, and they must wait patiently, but His judgment and His blessing is at a fixed time in history, and He is coming again. As they live out that kind of existence and know beforehand, before the crisis sets in, they will find stability in that. The most unstable of Christians are those who are double-minded, according to James in his epistle. He kind of wishy-washy, back and forth. Peter says, don't be that person. Be grounded in the truth and the reality that I am being patient in your lifetime and in this world of existence yet I'm coming, wait, and be at peace. Peter says in verse 18, grow or continue growing in the grace, i.e. that salvation, and that grace of salvation buds into a, a lifestyle of Christian living and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to know Him is to get into the book, because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. He is speaking into your life, and we must embrace that truth. And then in that simple conclusion, He says, to Him be all the glory both now, even in the time of persecution even in the time of suffering, even in the time of false teachers, even in the time when everything is coming apart at the seams, may the glory go to Him, and may it be complete at the day of eternity. Amen and amen. So, what are some of the things that we have learned in these texts? What are some of the things that stand out to you? Well, we don't have time for that question and answer, so I'm going to share some of the things that I believe are critically important in the day and age in which we live, and for the hearts of God's people. We're going to turn back, first of all, to 1 Peter chapter 1. What are the things that we need to know beforehand? And in 1 Peter chapter 1, we must be reminded of the believer's living hope. The hope that he speaks of is a confident expectation. It's not a cross your fingers or some wishful kind of thinking. He has just gotten done telling the people in his second epistle, you are waiting, but that day is coming, and it's a fixed date, and God always keeps His promises. But as we look at that believer's hope, beginning in verse 3, particularly in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept 
in heaven for you. Can you hear the waiting theme even in his introduction to his first letter? You are waiting for something that cannot be erased or changed or adjusted in any way. It is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading in all of its glory, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, listen to this, even in the midst of suffering, by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He's speaking eschatologically. He says, you've been given these promises. These promises never change. You must cling to these promises, and these promises are, in essence, the living hope of the believer. No matter what your life is, there is a living hope, and that hope is built in Jesus Christ alone. As you look at verse 3 and 4, there are some hard things to understand there that our human minds have a difficult time wrapping around, but we are rescued according to His great mercy. God reminding us that every one of us deserve wrath and judgment, every single one of us, but God in His great mercy has withheld that wrath, and He, not you, He has caused us to be born again. Somehow, in God's divine providence, when you are in need, vessels of wrath fit for destruction. He exercised His mercy, and He caused you to be born again. He reached into your life, and He rescued you through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's hard to understand in our human minds where we think that we're in control of our destiny. It's hard to wrap around, but let's be clear. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Somehow God in His great mercy and by His grace has made you alive through Jesus Christ. God did that. You didn't do that. You didn't help do that. God did that. Well, that's just not… God did that. You don't want to talk about fair. You want to talk about fair? Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what's fair. And that wretchedness demands a judgment, but it's been taking place already through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we stand clothed in His righteousness. God did that according to His mercy and according to His grace to provide this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what is to come is imperishable, and it's undefiled, and it's unfading, and it's being kept, and God will bring that to pass, revealing it in the last time. And Peter says in his second epistle, so hang on. and wait. Wait for the reality of the believer's hope to become sight, the confident expectation that He is coming to become a reality. Be reminded that even in the midst of that promise, it's not going to be easy. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, those things that He has just reminded us of, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's the story of your life. Grieved by various trials, various crises, various questions and challenges. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in 
praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And today, in the midst of all of life, as you wait in the midst of this trial and testing and persecution, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We rejoice even in the worst of times because we know there is a fixed time in the future where Jesus Christ intervenes into this world and makes all things new. And right now, we're just waiting for that day. And that waiting defines the Christian life sometimes. And as difficult as it might be, we must bank on the fact of the believer's hope and have a confident expectation that this same Jesus who once ascended into heaven will come again in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's Peter's encouragement. These are some of his final words. These are the things that he is calling us to in the context of both of these letters, even though the audiences may not have been identical. But if you look at chapter 2 of 1 Peter, we're also reminded not just of the believer's hope, we're reminded of, of the believer's position in Christ. He describes us in this way, but you, verse 9 of chapter 2, are a chosen generation, are a chosen race. There's the very same language that he used in chapter 1. God did this. He chose you. And Paul reminds us it was before the foundation of the word, world. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He claims you as his. What a glorious thing. You're mine. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you. Never promises that it would be easy. But in this chosenness, He calls us to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Again, He did that. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He makes it very clear there are two kinds of people in this world those who have not received mercy, who are vessels of judgment, and those who have received mercy and have received the grace of God, and we're waiting for a better day. There's nobody in between. There's no seekers. There's no fulfilled promises of these false teachers to live your best life now because we're all going to get there eventually. No, it is very clear that the promises that he speaks of and the believer's hope is rooted in the believer's position in Christ alone, and you are in Christ or you are not in Christ. And while you're in this world, in Christ, you have to deal with those who aren't in Christ, and therefore, inevitably, that leads to tribulation and eventually persecution. As he warns the people of the persecution that they were now experiencing, he says to them, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, I want to remind you, you weren't created for this world, but another world. This is not your home. You are sojourners and exiles. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which make war against your soul. That was the very message of the false teachers in Second Peter, to pursue the passions of the flesh. He said, no, abstain from them and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Don't expect that in this lifetime. 
And on the day of judgment, the day of reckoning, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our position in Christ is secure. We've called to live amongst this pagan land, these Gentiles, and to live lives, as according to Second Peter, of godliness and holiness. Why? Because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own possession, and our position in Christ can never be taken away from us. Why? Because our position has been given to us by Him, not earned, not achieved, not in some synchronistic kind of way, cooperating with Him. God did this, and only He could undo this, and He says, I will never do that. So as we look at the believer's hope, it's rooted in the believer's position, and as God's people, we must learn to live and reckon. We must prepare beforehand this understanding of His glorious grace and mercy and the salvation that we have in Christ for when that faith is tested in the worst of days, to be reminded that He's not done with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And because we are His, He will always keep us until that day, that glorious day when we see Him and become like Him. Do you remember the time you came to know Christ as your Savior? Most of us should, should be able to remember that day. Our eyes were open, and God, by His Holy Spirit, was drawing us through His Son to Himself, and everything changed. We went from those without mercy to those who obtained mercy. From those who were without grace to those who received grace abundantly. We went from those who had no hope and no promise to those who did have hope and promise. And that hope and promise is rooted in Christ so that no matter what might happen, sustains us in the inevitable realities of life. One of the things that Peter was writing about in Second Peter to remind us not only of the believer's position in Christ and not only of the believer's hope, but the inevitable suffering of the believer in a godless generation and world. This is where the false teachers deviated from the Scripture. This is where the false teachers turned away from this reality because it didn't fit their narrative. They didn't want it to be that way. It couldn't certainly be that way. If God is who He said He was, then why would we be suffering? It is that same God who saved us who told us that suffering is inevitable. It is going to happen. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. And Peter warns about the tribulation of those that he writes to in his first epistle in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 3. And he reminds them, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? If, in fact, you're living this Christian life, if, in fact, you're behaving in such a way that your conduct among the Gentiles is honorable, what can they do to you? What can they do to harm you? What can they do to take away from you what I have given you in Christ? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. You're mine. Your position in me is secure. And they're going to come after you, and they're going to target you, and you're going to go through this period of suffering, but what can they do to you? Really, in the end of the day, what can they do to you? Well, they took they could persecute you, and you could suffer for righteousness' sake. But even in that, you will be blessed. You don't have to fear them, nor be troubled, but sanctify Christ in your hearts. The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason of the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. Now, interestingly enough, in our position in Christ comes this spirit of persecution and the realities of living in a fallen world become cacophonous at times, yelling in our ears and demanding a justice that we have no right to demand. That's why the body matters. So go right back up to verse 8, if you would, in this same text in chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind as God's people, have sympathy or empathy with each other, practice brotherly love, weep with those that weep, and rejoice with those that rejoice. Have a tender heart. Be sensitive to the needs of the people around you, and not so self-absorbed that you only see your issues. It's hard to do in the midst of a valley of shadow of death. Have a tender heart and to practice a humble mind, a willingness to be the least, a willingness to go through this persecution with the belief that a better day is coming. The inevitable suffering of God's people in this world is clear and real. They hated Him. They will hate us also. But also, there's the inevitable suffering of living in a and a fallen, broken world, then sometimes that world falls on us, and everyone has a story. And in essence, in verses 8 and, and onward, he's saying, hey, make sure you're sensitive to people's stories, and you understand where they are, and you know what they're facing. And, and as a body of believers come together with tender hearts and brotherly affection, you, you need each other. The way that you get through this is with the empathy of God's saints and this unity of mind and the body together withstanding the pressures from the outside world, and those pressures are inevitable. There's no question in Peter's writings that he did not in any way anticipate a blessed life free of any kind of problems, but he anticipated a blessed life in spite of your problems. And he's given us this great cloud of witnesses, the company of other believers, His church, where we can come in our woundedness and brokenness and have the body and tenderness care for us in the time of our greatest need, and we in turn care for others at the time of their greatest need. And there may come a time in this world there, where there's a profound suffering that takes place in your life or my life or in the life of the church. The suffering will be so deep and disruptive, it will dominate your thinking, 
and it will threaten to overwhelm you to such a great degree that you give up your hope and you begin to question like these false teachers, is he really good? Does he really care? Does he, does he know my name? As you go back into the Psalms, more than one-third of all of the Psalms are called Psalms of Lament. And Psalms of Lament, as you go through them in the, in the Psalms in, in the Old Testament, are where God's people cry out in the midst of their suffering and struggle intellectually with some of the very thing, same things that, that Peter is instructing these believers. These psalms of lament often start with a, a complaint against God or, God, where are you? Why, why don't you hear me? Why don't you see me? How, how come you don't know my name? Don't you care? These psalms of laments and complaints are, are where God's people and cry out, God, why are you silent? Just do something. And yet somehow the silence is deafening in our lives. And as you read those psalm writers and their laments, they eventually come around in the midst of pouring out their heart to God to a place of trust and the believer's hope. Because in the life of a believer, there's an internal witness that even in the worst of times, when questions and doubts overwhelm you, there's a still small voice that tells you everything's going to be okay. That's for those who truly know Him, for those who love Him, for those who grasp and have prepared beforehand for those times to come. For the people who complain to other people about God and His absence and not listening, my soul is concerned for you. Because these laments weren't addressed to other people complaining about God. These laments were addressed to God with the belief that He would eventually hear them and answer them. Do you have that kind of confidence in times of suffering? I can go to Him, I can tell Him what's on my mind, and I know that He will hear me and do what is right in His own eyes, and eventually I will learn to trust Him. That's the true believers for these false teachers who say, see, you can't trust Him, and He isn't interested, and He's not involved. That's what we must guard against. And Peter says it in the end of this epistle in chapter 5 by saying, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him for He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself, listen to this, Himself will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you to Him. Be the dominion forever and forever. And God's people said, Amen. He's got us. He's got us. But sometimes we go through these seasons of lament where we cry out in confidence and we pour out in deep hurt the situation that we find ourselves in this life. But you have to equip yourself beforehand when you mean to be reminded of what Peter talked about in Second Peter about our efforts and the faith.
He says in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, for this very reason, make every effort, give due diligence, work hard at this. That implies that it's not going to be easy. You understand that, right? It implies it's not going to be easy when He calls us to work hard at the grace that we've received, not in being a recipient of that grace, but making the most of that grace. It takes hard work, and you must supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, instead self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But some of God's people fail to do the hard work in the present time, fail to know beforehand of of His goodness and His mercy, His grace, and they're overwhelmed in times of darkness and need. Peter's writing to them and warning them that they'll be susceptible to the false promises of these false teachers. So he said, prepare ahead of time and get ready for this. Make every effort to add to your faith the grace that you received in Christ, and in that grace abound. Have you prepared yourself beforehand? Are are, you ready for the storm? Because it's coming. Maybe persecution. Maybe just the sinful world falling on you. It's coming. And when we're in the midst of that storm, we have to be reminded of the believer's discernment in life. And according to 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 16 onward, He makes it very clear that we can't trust in our emotions, and we can't trust in our experiences, and we can't trust in our own decision-making, and when the chips are down and we're suffering, we can't trust in our own wisdom and knowledge. We must turn to that which is more sure than anything else in this world, the prophetic word, verse 19, that you must pay attention to as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning rises in your hearts, because the things and the Word are produced not by the will of man, but men spoke from God. Some of you need some discernment in the season that you're in right now. You can only get that by calling to remembrance the things that you've prepared beforehand, or diving into the Scriptures and maybe the laments of the Psalms are a good place to start, where you pour out and cry out to God, believing that He hears you and eventually will deliver you as you wait. That discernment only comes through the Scripture. When churches stop preaching and teaching the Scripture line upon line and precept upon precept because of the itching ears of the flock who want to hear what they want to hear, anecdotes and stories instead of, thus saith the Lord, the church is ill-prepared for those times. I make it a purpose in my life to prepare you for those times by digging into the book so that the Holy Spirit can remind you of those things when the day and the season grows dark. Peter finishes his admonition in chapter 3 by admonishing God's people to wait. And he reminds them that they must be waiting in holiness and godliness, chapter 3 of Second Peter. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be 
and lives of holiness and godliness as you wait. We are called to be without spot or blemish, verse 14. We're called to be at peace. That peace is hard to come by sometimes. When your faith is challenged and you're ill-prepared to handle the challenge, you've missed the opportunity to stir your mind, focus on the truth that sets you free. You fail to understand the implications of the truth in your life that becomes real only in the realities of life lived under the sun. When persecution comes, our faith gets small. When suffering becomes a reality, we begin to wonder about God's goodness. And as we wonder about God's goodness, we fall prey to these false teachers who who try and promise us something that the Bible never promised us. And yet Peter calls us back to the only thing that we have and reminds us that we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I sense that some here today are in a season of waiting. I know some of your stories. I don't know all of your stories, but I know that life isn't easy sometimes. There are seasons that people go through. There are seasons that families go through. There are seasons that even the church goes through. And in the midst of those seasons, we must prepare ourselves beforehand and not lose our own stability, believing that this fixed time is coming and He will make all things new, and there is a place where we will finally dwell. And according to verse 13, it will be a place where righteousness dwells, and everything's going to be okay creates a longing in our soul, a desire for the next thing. And I happen to think that that desire gets greater with age, and maybe it's just because we've been paying attention for a long time, and we have the mile markers and the scars and the bumps and the bruises to remind us this is not our home, and we wait. And as you wait, I pray the peace of God promised to everyone will be yours. Lincoln Brewster wrote and sang a song called, While I Wait. Reminds me of some of these people and their experiences in Peter's writings. Deep within my heart, I know you've won, and I know you've overcome. And even in the dark when I'm undone, I still believe it. And I'll live by faith and not my sight. Sometimes miracles take time. That's the waiting. But I wait, and I will worship you. I'll wait, and I will trust you. You're faithful every day. Your promises remain. And though I don't understand it, I will worship with my pain. You are God. You are worthy. You are with me all the way. So while I wait, I will worship. And though I don't have all of the answers still, I trust you all the same.
That's the message of Peter in letter one to those who are being persecuted and suffering. That's the message in Second Peter to those who are growing faint of heart and listening to the whisperers of the false teachers. And God in His divine providence has allowed us to delve into and get a peek at that time in history, but to take away from that time in history these biblical principles that will sustain us as we wait for the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to His promise. We wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And with the Apostle John, we say, even so come, Lord Jesus, because sometimes life is just hard. May you know His peace. May you experience His promises. May you May you know beforehand, before this starts to unravel, that everything's going to be okay, and may He keep you with a quiet heart to the day of our redemption. Father, bless us, encourage us, remind us, never stop reminding us. We're a forgetful bunch, filled with expectation. But our own personal expectations pale in comparison to the promises we've received from You. Prepare us beforehand for those valleys, the shadow of death, and remind us to wait and to be at peace. May it be so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.